at this time, I'd like to ask Barnabas Grayson to come forward and with our message. Messengers of God. Unless you change. I'll bet whatever. Good afternoon. I suppose by now there is no Hebrews 14.1. If you've read the bulletin, that is. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that until... Until I started coming up here. I'm a little dyslexic, I guess. It should be Hebrews 1.14 from whence this, uh, this uh, sermon is to be today. I kind of realized I was that way when I was young. I first wrote my name and spelled it B-A-R-N-A-D-A-S. Turned it around. It's supposed to be Barnabas. <laughs> anyway, let's start in 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to talk about these ministering spirits. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also if I make not your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So she was challenging this challenge to Elijah that, you know, he, he was uh, going to, out to kill Elijah as uh, her prophets died. Verse 3, and when he saw that, he arose and he went for his life, you know, he fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. A lot of this dismay and this depression came over Elijah that he just wanted to be relieved of those things. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, Behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. So God had saw that Elijah needed reviving. And he had a way to deal with this dismay and this discouragement that Elijah was feeling at the time. And this, may, this story might remind you a little bit of you know, uh, what we read about in uh, Jonah. And so he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink, and laid him down again. He went back to laying down. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. And he arose, and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat, or that food, forty days and forty nights unto the mount of God, Horeb, the Mount of God. In a survey taken many years back showed that one in five who, who are non-religious, they believe that at some time in their life they were protected or, 
or guarded by an angel during your lifetime. And that half, over half of Americans believe that angels and demons are active today in our world. And some have related to experiences of maybe being touched, being pushed, or that uh, they have been lifted or have been warned of pending danger and have avoided some of those things that might have hurt them or uh, harm come to them in their life. And sometimes out of nowhere, uh, a person comes along to give comfort, to give relief, to give aid of some sort, uh, sometimes to those who are hurt or even dying, that at that moment they are comforted by a being that is there. But what is it that is important to know about angels? Scripture mentions many angels many, many times throughout the Bible. And angels, we know, are messengers, ministering spirits that are sent from God. And that there are many. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, it tells us of an innumerable company of angels. Innumerable. That's hard to... That's a, Kind of hard for me to say. I had to practice that a little bit, but innumerable. Verse 22, it's, uh, You were come unto Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. So this description means that there are just, just a whole lot, too many to be even counted, thousands upon thousands as the... Uh, uh, NIV translates, but probably many more times than that. If you think of a, a, a huge stadium like a football stadium and you see this vast crowd that's there to witness that sport, uh, even though you don't know the, the capacity, you know that there are just too many to count and innumerable. Unless, you know, of course, they count. Uh, they, they know how much money they're taking in. They, so they know how many people are there, but, you know, there are just too many to count, not to mention those who might be watching on television by the millions. So this scripture here in verse 22 of Hebrews 12 gives us this vision of a great company of angelic beings within this heavenly city, wherever or however we may imagine that to exist. In Hebrews 12, let's back up to verse 18. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, so this refers to the mount that Moses saw and went to, a physical place that, that he could see that, you know, people could touch and know it was there and hear the noise of it and see all the things that were happening. In verse 19, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For, in verse 22, for they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast... Touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with uh, a dart. So there was a, a fear that they didn't want to come close to this mountain or to hear everything, the voices that were going on. And so terrible, it says, was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. At the end of Exodus, chapter 19, we're not going there, but in chapter 20, we see where the people were called to the mount and that the law was given uh, to them through Moses. But in Exodus 20, 
Verse 18, all the people, they saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood far off. They stood at a distance. And they said unto Moses, speak you with us. Speak to us and we'll, we'll hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not. Don't be afraid, for God has come to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not. Don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. He cares for you and he wants you to take note of just how awesome his power is and can be. But it was an awesome sight for them. In verse 21, so the people stood afar off. They stood at a distance. While Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. Uh, we know, of course, God is light. We also know that no man can see God and live. And Moses was human, just, just like you and me. He had the fears. He had the emotions. And just like the people of that time. But he was the go-between for the people of Israel and the Almighty at that time. And so the people feared this great lightning storm that was on the mount. And that's how we might also feel if we were to walk out, you know, in a thunderstorm, lightning uh, darting about, because any one of those lightning bolts could strike you down, literally make the hair stand on your head. So another comparison that we could picture ourselves before, like, you know, like a rumbling volcano that's, you know, smoking before it erupts. And Moses, of course, had his own fears about all that was happening there. So terrible was the sight that Moses said he feared. But he had to step forward. He had to trust in the eternal. Now from other scriptures we see that there were thousands of angels that appeared with the eternal before Moses. At Mount, Mount Sinai and other places where Moses was called to, to come and commune with the eternal. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 1, and this is a blessing wherewith Moses... The man of God blessed the children uh, of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shineth forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand went a fiery law for them. Yea, he loves the people. All his saints are in thy hand. And they sat down at thy feet. Every one shall receive of thy words. So we know that there is an innumerable multitude. See, I messed up on that. There is an innumerable multitude of these holy angels that are there to minister unto us. God has provided them, so their presence, you know, is round about. And this is a blessing that Moses gave to make us aware that there are ministering spirits. And this knowledge... It's vital to us as we live out our life because there are angels among us. King David, in Psalm 68, 17, he reported uh, the sighting, the chariots of God, 20,000 of them, even thousands of angels, the Lord among them when he ascended on high. You can imagine a sighting such as this. You, you look up and you see... Uh, these bright shining objects, but you realize that they are like chariots, the only way he could describe them, but they were uh, traversing the sky, going across the universe up, up high. 
These angels, why are they? What are they? What do they do? Can we see them and do they see us? In Hebrews 1, verse 14, we see their part in the service of the eternal for his people. It says, are not they all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So the duty of angels are as servants, they're as ministering spirits. Uh, angelos is a translation from the Greek which means messenger. And in verse 7, and of the angels he saith, who makes his angels spirits. And the ASV, the Amer uh, Standard, American Standard Version, and also the NIV translate spirits as wind, and his ministers a flame of fire. So spirits are like wind, powerful and dynamic and invisible forces. Flames of fire, like, the only way I can picture it is like streaks of lightning. But it reminds us that it is Jesus Christ, not the angels, that is the focus of our faith. Because they are a help and they are often unseen to those who trust in the eternal. Psalm 34, verse 7. Uh, the angels of the, the eternal, or the Lord, Yahweh or Jehovah, encampeth round about them that fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man that trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. You know, we don't put our faith directly in these angels or in worship of them because it is our trust in God that he will see to our deliverance through these ministering spirits. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. For unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. So it's not the angels that he has subjected to this world that is to come. And we know that there is a world that is coming. A new age that is coming. Because the angels have their own realm of existence. And they serve humankind in, in helping them attain unto that world that is coming. That world of immortality. That kingdom of God. Verse 6 but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? And you can put your name in there. What is so-and-so that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man. That's, you know, the, that's everyone that you visit him. And we know that you know, God has made visits among people, nations, world over. So we know that the uh, eternal God, he's mindful of every person who has ever lived and who lives today. He's mindful of you, younger, old, middle age. He visits you. Verse 7, you made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of your hands. So man was created, we see, lower than the angels. But he set man over the works of his hands, the creation around about him. All that is, you know, in the seas, the forest, beneath the ground, in the sky above, things seen and unseen, like the forces of nature. In verse 8, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But 
now we see not yet all things that uh, were put under him. So at the present time, man doesn't see or does he have everything under his subjection. He does not have everything under his control or authority. We know the weather, that man is trying to tamper with the weather so that they can create high and low pressures. They use these forces of energy and other things to trying to manipulate the weather, cloud seeding and so on. But there's one thing that sometimes is very hard for us to control, and that's, you know, our own human nature. And verse 9, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So he has tasted death for each and every one of us. Though man is made a little lower than these ministering spirits, so humankind, unlike these uh, ministering spirits, unlike the angels, we feel pain. We grow uh, weary and tired. We hunger and we thirst. We're subject to many emotions and even to death. And Christ was made like unto a human being in that way. With all of those things that define human existence in the human body and in the human mind. But it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So that's how we uh, go on to this world that is coming. We, we have various sufferings and various things to deal with. But Jesus Christ is the pioneer. He's the author of that salvation. Verse 14, on down. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. So the, the angels had a nature, a particular nature, and human has its nature. But Christ took on flesh and blood, not the uh, powerful, the immortal nature of angels. Christ became one of us, but without sin. And so, these angels possess power. And they watch over those who belong to the Creator God. And they assist Him by helping those who seek the righteousness of Christ and the calling of, of God to be a son <coughs> unto Him. Now, God is not helpless that he cannot do things for himself, for, you know, with God all things are possible. But with the angels, he shares power. He shares glory, and he also the plan, also the plan that he has for the salvation of mortal man and bringing uh, mortal man to a higher plane of existence that as, as children and as sons of God. So as they watched over Christ, and we can see that in Scripture where the angels watched over they watch over those who are in Christ, and that would include us. So the eyes of the angel, of an angel, are on every person. They know our spiritual condition. They know what condition our condition is in. For those of you that may have heard the song a long time ago. Luke 15, verse 4. Here's how the angels are aware of our condition. Luke 15, verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which, is, which was lost. He's going to have a party, going to have a rejoicing, a homecoming event. And when, uh, I, verse 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either, and then, then the, verse 8, either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. You know, they had to have the candle in those days. We can just draw out our flashlight and look around for what we might have lost. Different ways in, in that way. But when she has found it, she calls her friends and, and her neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace that I was looking for, the peace that I had lost. She's happy. Likewise, in verse 10, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. So we see that the angels have joy, they have emotion, and they rejoice that there are those who turn and repent and, and, and come to God and answer his call. And that's kind of like we might do if we rejoice over our children or someone we know for their accomplishments. In the same way, we take joy, just as the angels. Psalm 91, in times of trouble, uh, this, this we are to know, that we can look for deliverance from him. Because we know that there is a time coming when there will be great tribulation. Psalm 91, verse 1, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Verse 3, Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. There are many perils and evils that exist in our world. They pose a, a constant and daily threat to us in some way. But those times that are, uh, are, that are ahead where uncertainty is going to reign as chief, it's going to call for holding fast to the faith in spite of, you know, very, uh, a lot of doubtful circumstances. Verse 7, it says, A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come nigh you. You know, there's a lot of things that are happening in the world where, you know, thousands are being killed. Thousands are succumbing to disease and epidemics of that sort. But we here in blessed America... You know, we're protected in, in a way such as that. Only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked, because you've made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, your habitation. There shall no evil befall, befall you, neither shall any plague come nigh your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. So he's going to charge the angels over us to keep, us in all uh, his ways. They shall bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. 
You shall tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shall you trample under feet. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I de deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. We see this was a promise made to Israel and it still holds true today. But how would you live if you knew that the angels were watching you? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we notice that we are a spectacle to them. You know, they see us in all, our, all of our good and our bad situations as we struggle, as we struggle along making a living, making mistakes, dealing with adversities, having ups and downs, so on and so forth. And this thing of salvation, I'm sure they will look into it. But the Apostle Paul put it this way in the light of his trials as servants of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9. He said, I think that God has set forth us apostles last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. So he goes on to describe some of these difficulties that he's encountered, the apostles have encountered. He said, we are fools for Christ's sake. We're weak, despised, verse 11. We hunger and thirst. We have no certain dwelling place, no address. We labor and being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer for it. Verse 13, being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things unto you, he said, to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. So there are such things like this that are happening to those who stand up for Christ and his righteousness, who point the way and show the way that uh, man should go, who point out the evil of, of the world. And they are looked upon in that way, defamed and uh, made fools of and so on. But Pro Proverbs 3, the eyes of the Lord, it says, are in every Place, beholding the evil and the good. And he intervenes. But, you know, we know that not in every situation. But faith, patience, and endurance are the things that we uh, learn on this proving ground that is called earth. However, we know all things work together for good to them that love God, even when things don't go right or when we uh, suffer for it. But in the end, we know it all works out. It all comes to good, perhaps not right away, but we have the promise that somewhere down the line it's going to come out good, and that's a promise. Now, angels had many functions, and, you know, in the Bible text here, it mentions the angels numerous times. We see them praising God and doing his will as ministering uh, spirits. We know that the angels, Psalm 103, 20, describes them as that they excel in strength. They excel in power. Uh, bless the Lord, you his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. And they function, we know, as messengers from the eternal. Luke 11, verse 20. 
And we see how an angel had appeared to Zacharias in verse 12. And of course, Zacharias in verse 13 had fear. And the angel told him to fear not Zacharias, but he uh, gave to Zacharias the announcement uh, that uh, he was going to have a son. They were going to call him John. And in verse 26 on down, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And there he uh, spoke to a virgin, spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, and told her that she was going to conceive, told Joseph. And as messengers, once again, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. So we see angels are real and have made some direct contact with people, with special news, times past. And Christ could have uh, called on them to come uh, to his aid, these angels, uh, during his uh, crucifixion. And also during his temptation, as we read in Luke chapter 22. Because there appeared an angel unto heaven, unto him from heaven, strengthening him. So we see that Christ needed strengthening. We see that as messengers, they announced Christ's conception, John uh, the Baptist and the birth, and they witnessed and proclaimed the resurrection of Christ. Now they appeared before God, Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. Don't look down on, on uh, one of these little ones these harmless, these innocent, these babes in Christ. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. So these angels have access to the Father. And verse 11, For the Son has come to save that which was lost. So we're to avoid discouraging others who are responding to Christ's word. In the early days of when my wife and I came into the church, we didn't know a whole lot of things. We knew the Sabbath, and there's a lot of things that came to us gradually, like, like the holy days. Things weren't poured onto us all at once. Don't know how we would have reacted had everything that was expected of us been poured on us. So we don't dis uh, discourage these little ones. And they appear before man. Hebrews Chapter 13 again. Well, you don't have to go there, but maybe it's already on there. But it says, To be not forgetful, to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And there are times I know, and I probably told you this story, where I was out uh, on one Sunday morning uh, edging the sidewalk, and um, before I knew it, there were two people behind me, you know, carrying Bible, and they were uh, inviting me to uh, the Passover. That was coming. I told them I knew, knew about that. And didn't speak very long and they went on and I thought about it and, and I looked up and I, there was a truck down at the other end. I, I imagine they may have gotten into this truck because there was another man visiting these houses. But anyway, sometimes you think, well, were these angels? And uh, once when uh, we lived near the highway, my wife and I, a knock came at the door 
and uh, opened the door, and the man wanted a uh, sandwich. And uh, uh, we gave him a cup of coffee, and we had to make the sandwich. And so we said, you know, we didn't invite him in, but we, we'll, we'll go in and make the sandwich for you. And so, so when we came out with the sandwich, he was gone, but there was the cup of coffee still, you know, steaming uh, there on, on this uh, ledge of the porch. And it, you know, it makes you think. Be careful, you know, to, because be careful, you know, we might be entertaining strangers, or sometimes we've entertained strangers without knowing it, unawares. But they've appeared before all of the uh, uh, prophets, uh, many of the patriarchs that we read of in the Bible, like Abraham and Moses and David, and they, of course, knew right away this is an angel of the Lord. Now, we know that they shall make their presence known to the world in the closing days of this age. Revelation chapter 5, uh, we see a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. And we see in uh, Revelation 10 that they are mighty. And John saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the, the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And in Revelation 8, an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. You know, there are going to be seven uh, angels. And we also see from Revelation that there will be a strong angel that will see to the binding of Satan. We also see in Matthew 13, verse 41, 41 that angels will also accompany Christ on his return. Matthew 13, 41, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity. Verse 49, so shall it be at the end of the age. The angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. Now we can go to 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 4, verse 16. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the eternal. You have to imagine that time when just suddenly the earth, you just leave the earth beneath your feet and you're off into those clouds. Uh, you know, when you're young and you've never ridden in an elevator, you know, you, you like that sensation. And then as you get older, you like the sensation that you feel on a roller coaster when you're going up. You have this thrilling experience, this, this wow, this awesome experience of just where you just want to shout and because you never felt that sensation before. And this is what is going to be when we rise in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and ever be with him. Verse 18, wherefore it says, comfort one another with these words. Angels we know were created. They sang for joy at the creation of the world. They're spirit beings. They are immortal. They're powerful. They have emotions, you know, like joy and the conversion of a sinner. And they're organized in ranks. And we know that Michael, uh, the archangel, contended 
when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring a railing accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. They minister to believers, just as uh, we read, to Elijah. They can also deliver if there is a need to deliver. We, in Acts chapter 12, about the time that uh, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. And then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending that after you know, Easter there is supposed to be Passover, to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird yourself, bind on your sandals. And so he did. And he said unto him, Cast your garments around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. And when they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that led unto the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from them, departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Eternal has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the people of the Jews. Now, in Colossians chapter 2, we see we're not to worship angels. Verse 18 says, of 2 Colossians, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. This you know, voluntary humility amounts to undue honor and praise of uh, angels, and we're not to put them on a pedestal and reverence their, you know, their power and their presence. Honor is due Christ only. We know that. And to worship uh, angels is to disclaim Christ as a mediator between God and man. In Exodus 20, we, you know, the commandment says that we are to have no other gods before him. And in Revelation 22, you know, where John, uh, when he saw the angel, uh, fell down to worship before the feet of the angel. And the angel said, uh, don't do that. See you not do that. In the verse 9, I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. You know, you can fall down. Uh, when something awesome appears before you because, you know, your, your knees probably go weak. And once they realize, you know, uh, it's an angel, you, that's where you stop. You know, you don't go on and start worshiping. And we know that Christ, when he was tempted of the devil, that he was taken up to an exceeding high mountain, and the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, 
And he said unto Christ, all these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. You know, that's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to worship him. Turn our eyes off of Jesus Christ. And then said Jesus unto him, get you hence, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So we know from Hebrews 1, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? They ministered to Christ and now to the heirs of salvation of which you are. So it is a blessing of God that we know that his eyes are upon his children in every place, that his eyes are on the righteous, that his eyes are on you, and that praise and worship must be toward him, toward Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. In this day and age, we, there are many things that can unsettle us and make us want to quit, make us want to give up. We grow tired, we grow weary, uncertain of things. In conclusion, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19 again, beginning verse 5. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So Christ, from this we might be able to glean, that he is our bread of life. He is our strength. The Holy Spirit is our water. By it, we can arise and be strengthened because we have a long journey that's ahead of us, but it's a step-by-step -step one to the Mount of God and unto the city of the living God and to an innumerable company of angels.